0: podcast i'm lauren Tossie and i'm ryan tosse the headless chicken can only know where it's been he can't see where he's going
1: <laughs> this movie <is> so weird <laughs> I, I would have gone with the you know colors of the world spice up your life every boy and every girl spice up your life people of the world <laughs> Spice up your life. Ah, that's where I would have gone. Yeah, that, that probably makes the most <laughs> sense. And I appreciate that. Next time, sing it, though, for us in the audience. No, I will always do spoken word beat poetry whenever I'm quoting Spice Girls <laughs> lyrics.
0: <laughs> I just thought you were going to get mad at me that I I took a quote from this movie that actually is not a Spice Girl.
1: <laughs> One could say he's the sixth Spice, the Roger
0: Spice. Would you maybe say spice <laughs>
1: And we're moving on (laughs) Um If this is your first time joining our podcast, thank you so much for checking us out. We are two people who fell in love in a movie theater and never quite left. We started this podcast to be a way to fill gaps in our film knowledge, like the fact that I had not seen The Goonies until I was an adult, the fact that you waited way too long to see The Godfather. Um, And now we like to have fun film conversations in addition with still filling those gaps like the movie that we are going to be talking about today.
0: I.e., we just like to pick movies we want to talk about, and then we come up with backdoor ways to... Make them fit our premise.
1: Actually, here's the thing. That should actually be the description of the podcast (laughs) from here on going forward. It may change my whole opening. Uh, We always like to start the episode with Atassi's Takes, but we have a uh, special opportunity. Have you ever thought to yourself, well, I'd like to offer Atassi's Takes. I have a hot recommendation of something I would like people to watch or listen to. Well, here is your opportunity. But... It comes with a favor. If you leave us a review on whatever platform that you are currently consuming this on, whether it is via Anchor or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever it might be, if you leave us a review and then DM us on Instagram or Facebook Messenger, so that's going to be at, at @howcouldyoupodcast. We will ask you for a Tossies takes that you can offer for an upcoming episode.
0: Yeah, I, I think we both are so excited to see what people, you know, what people's tassies takes are and what recommendations they have and to talk about them on the show. And also just can't wait to see people's reviews. So we appreciate you guys helping us out with that. And we're excited to talk about people's, you know, takes and 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 recommendations.
1: Although family members with senses of humor, please don't troll our podcast with negative <laughs> reviews. <laughs> we're looking for this to be a positive experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but a real Tossies takes for today. I'm going to go first because I have a film I just want to gush about. Um, please, 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 everyone, uh, please see Pearl. It's so incredible. Um, this is Ty West's follow up to X. It's a weird way of saying this. It's a prequel to the film uh, starring Mia Goth, just absolutely killing it. Pun very much intended. Uh, This movie is set in 1918, which has some pretty interesting modern ties that I don't want to spoil too much about. Uh, But it's filmed and paced like a 40s movie, and it is just so incredible. It is delightful and demented, and it's... Honestly, if Betty Davis was alive, this is the kind of movie she'd be making right now. It's an incredible, incredible movie. I knew you were
0: going to take it, and I'm so glad. Yeah, I mean, the follow-up to X, although a prequel, sequel, prequel, remake, reboot. Uh, (laughs) But, I mean, this is maybe the best prequel. I mean, you put this in Prey. Are they maybe two of the best prequels we've ever seen that that we got this year?
1: Oh, 100%. I think the fact that we got them both in this year is incredible. Uh, There's, like, this whole, like you know, cinematic universe that Ty West is creating. And it's really, it rewards you for, you know, kind of staying with this story. And I don't know. It's just incredible. I don't want to spoil anything about it. I just want people to go and see it. No,
0: I mean, I talked forever about X. So I'm so glad that you love Pearl just so they blend. And I'm with you. Both movies are just incredible. Can't wait to see Maxine. I think my, I would jump on that and be like, Tossie's take is Ty West. I yeah. mean, check out his films. Uh, the the House of the Devil. Um Ooh, yeah. So damn good. Um, you have to check that out. Um, yeah, just a really creative, cool filmmaker. Um, so a lot of really great stuff.
1: I do feel like uh, Ty West can also explain our aesthetic and the films that we're drawn to because you are a little bit X and I'm a little bit Pearl. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll try not to do it in the...
1: Yeah, yeah, please don't. Absolutely. This is going to be, despite uh, the theme of the episode, this will be a non-singing podcast today. Uh, what's your
0: Tossie's take? Um, Moon Age Daydream. Uh, the Day of it Bowie documentary-ish. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, it is a trippy, mind, you know, crazy film. with what you expect from a a David Bowie. Um, Not your typical type of musical documentary. Uh, They pulled a lot of footage that had never been seen before. It's done in a very... Avant-garde way Uh, you and I saw it on a Friday night, and I think we both thought we were just on another planet. Um, Just a really if you love David Bowie's music, if you love David Bowie and and everything like check it out. It's, It's a really interesting piece of film work.
1: Well, I also would say too, even if you're not necessarily the biggest Bowie fan, like this is not something where you need to be a diehard or like feel like, oh, I'm coming in knowing everything about David Bowie. I think it's like educational in that way about his life. I think the early interviews that they intercut throughout the film are really incredible. Um, I mean, you feel like Ziggy Stardust by the end of the film. It's awesome. Like it is such an incredible experience. We saw it in IMAX. We sat way too close to the screen. Yeah, that
0: was on me on that
1: one. But I mean that actually, it's weird. It sounds like a complaint, but it's not because i felt like I, i'm in the movie i'm in the colors like yeah. it was it was a really cool experience which, you know, is a really great tossy stakes, given what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah,
0: I think it segues us quite nicely.
1: (laughs) All right, so we're obviously talking about Spice World today. Um, I don't think it should be a shock to anyone who's listening, or if you're listening for the first time, if you check out our Instagram, I'm sure you could understand and peg me as a massive Spice Girls fan and that this was a very important period in my life, which we will definitely get to. Um, Our How Could You for This is something that, I really feel ardently that this film needs more attention. So my how could you is, how could you not feel nostalgic about this film? (laughs) It is the 90s in just a perfect, dreamy, colorful, like, encapsulation. It's like the antithesis of Fight Club, which also really marks the 90s. (laughs) But at the same time, my how could you is, how could you not feel nostalgic about this? So Ryan, can you take us back to the films of... What are we going with, 97 or 98 for this? It's complicated. It's a good
0: question, uh, because if you look it up, you're going to get a 1997 date attached to it, and it's fair. It is a 1997 film. comes out in the UK in, in, in late 97, I believe December of 97. U.S. release uh, comes out in January of 1998. So for, for today's purposes, we're going to look at 98, because that's essentially the entire year it's where you know it got the US box office and that's what we kind of look at every you know every episode uh so kind of looking at the you know 98 year um it's an interesting one um number 1 we is,
1: think every year's interesting in
0: film you are a 100% <laughs> correct i think i say that yes every time we we talk about this you know i we are definitely Showing you know our our time that we you know the film our films that really you know speak to us and nostalgia for as we you know go back to back ninety nine and now ninety
1: eight. Well, I think I'm considering this uh, the panacea to last week's film. So if you were like uh, American gridiron uh, teenage male night, late nineties perspective, I've got a solution for you.
0: <laughs> I just want to say though, I feel like I fit in both. I'm like the Ferris Bueller of film here, man. I'm like,
1: (laughs) he's a righteous dude.
0: (laughs) You know, I like the Spice Girls. I like the the West Canaan Coyotes. Like, give me all the 90s nostalgia. Yeah, but I
1: think part of the reason you like the Spice Girls probably has a little more West Canaan Coyote in it than you'd like to think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When we get to that category, I'm sure we'll have that discussion. All right, sort of those films that came out this year. So 1998, uh, number one at the box office, not a shock at all, Save in Private Ryan. I mean, say the obvious thing. Just do it. Should have been best picture. Hundred um, percent. One of the best films of all time. Yes. I mean, and and arguably the greatest war film of all time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard pressed to ever find somebody that can say. A negative word about that film so it makes sense why it would be number one
1: yeah and it's you know again this is in those times of kind of like your phenomenon films again we've talked about this like the stratification of like film culture you know this is like film monoculture like at its zenith towards the end of the 90s because you know in the prior year you have titanic um you know in 98 we get saving private ryan so you're talking about films that people were going out in droves for i mean you know it's a film that's starring tom hanks it's directed by steven spielberg It's this incredible war epic that, you know, sought to portray a really horrifying aspect of war. Like, it really did not want to show, or it didn't want to shy away from what D-Day actually looked like. Let's not just think of it as they charged the beach. Yay. No, I'm going to show you what it looked like, and I'm going to make you feel it. I have distinct memories of seeing that for the first time, so it is no shock. It's number one. Yeah.
0: Um, Then going from there, uh, Armageddon. Which, you know, was huge. I mean, yeah. there's no question that that was going to be in the in a top five of the year. So n- coming in at number two, I'll call it, um, you know, Aerosmith's Armageddon. Um,
1: uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's also, you could say Bruce Willis. <laughs> you could say Ben Affleck. Liv Tyler. Um, Michael Clark Duncan. <laughs> Steve Buscemi.
0: I, I like it. All. Yeah. Owen but, Wilson. But Aerosmith. Owen Wilson was in that, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Can I tell you, you said it? And then I thought, that's not right. And then I went, wait, that's right. He wasn't
0: Um Yeah, but I don't want to miss a thing with that at number two. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Uh, then we get a, a whole patch of, of comedies coming up here. So something about Mary, yeah. A Bug's Life. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I ever actually have seen A Bug's Life.
1: You had Bugs Life on DVD when we first got together. That
0: means nothing. That's true. You,
1: did. you know what? Can I tell you? I think you won the a Bugs Life DVD in that machine at Carmike.
0: That does sound like something that happened that I'm sure our audience feels better for knowing that.
1: How, how much did I just age us by saying you won a DVD out of a carnival machine at a movie theater? Out of curiosity. Are we 90?
0: Uh, then we got Dr. Doolittle. Okay. Uh Rush Hour. Sure. And then Armageddon Part 2, Deep Impact.
1: I'm just saying, Elijah Wood, if you're listening, why are you stumbling up that mountain, homie? She's got a baby that she's carrying, and she's walking up that mountain like a boss to avoid the apocalypse, and you're just falling all over yourself.
0: You want my hot take?
1: Yeah, go for Here's it.
0: Here's my Tossy hot take. Yeah, go for it. Deep Impact, much better film than Armageddon. Podcast over. <laughs> Why do you end the podcast every
1: (laughs) (laughs) time? Honestly, can I tell you, so we have two not-so-great cinematic debates that have been raging in this household. (laughs) One of them is which is better, Air Force One or Con Air?
0: Which I believe we may have discussed on this show. (laughs) Yes, and
1: then the other is this one, this Deep Impact Armageddon debate, which has come up and reared its ugly head before. There might be a germination of an episode here. Ooh, this does really, let us
0: know, if maybe in those reviews to get your tossy Stakes on here, let us know if, you know, you want to see, or just give us a comment if you want to see an armageddon versus deep impact episode
1: my asteroid greater than your asteroid
0: (laughs) i'll agree with that
1: (laughs) oh you know i just heard it back in my head
0: then we got godzilla and patch Adams. so that rounds out our top 10 45 minutes into the episode i finished our top 10 can't tell
1: you that's like a pretty solid top 10
0: Ooh, I, don't, I don't know man I don't think that's that bad I mean they're all recognizable but I don't know but I would,
1: where did this film fall into play this
0: came in at number 67 at the box okay. office so
1: that's surprising but
0: something that we have to say right off the bat and we'll talk about it when we get into the production of this film it's not a failure. Uh, people have to know that this. You can make all the jokes you want about it, and we're going to talk. You know, talk I, in a very positive light about it today. And, and maybe people are just kind of listening, just going, "This movie. This movie was a huge success. So let's just get that. Out of it. Even though it came in at number sixty-seven, it was a huge success. So that's what kind of where it puts us at with the box office for Spice World.
1: Well, and I think it's important to note, like there. There is no denying the phenomenon that was the Spice Girls. Um, So, you know, let's take a a, a history uh, into the Spice Girls phenomenon that I know all too well because I was such a massive, 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 (laughs) massive, disgustingly huge fan of the Spice Girls. They're very important to me at this time in my life. You're into a
0: lot of choreography on this episode, aren't you? I.
1: Truly and honestly, so we recently uh, screened this as part of our Nostalgia Cinema series um, at Civic Theater in Allentown, and I was watching the movie, doing the choreography, because I still know quite a bit of it, which is... You're looking like
0: Amy Poehler and Mean Girls.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was out in the aisle like... Eh, eh. Um, you can't see it, we're dancing. Um but I, I think, like, the Spice Girls were, like, a really important phenomenon. I know hit at a, a particular moment in my adolescence that feels significant. Um, but essentially, the Spice Girls were formed because this was a response to the uh, the boy band phenomenon of the late 80s and early 90s. Um, you know, because you have to think about this. This does, you know, predate Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, who then actually become a response to the Spice Girls phenomenon, which is, like, interesting. Um but, and, and they would go on to inspire a lot of girl groups. But, like, how this was formed was, you know, this was not a group of friends who decided to form a band, although that's kind of how it's purported in Spice World. Um, there were two record, record producers that saw this opportunity. So the original group was was five members, and it was Mel C., Mel B., uh, Jerry, and Victoria. So that was the original. There was also a fifth Spice. Her name was Michelle. Um, but this is when they were under uh, the name Touch. So, they were trying to, like, identify, like, what exactly their style was going to be, the music that they were going to develop. And so, the girls were involved in that process. Not necessarily writing the music, but, like, kind of in the conceptualization. Um, Michelle quit the band because she didn't want to put the effort forth in rehearsals. Like, they didn't ask her to leave. She left. She was like, this is, I don't, I'm out too much.
0: (laughs) She's the peep best (laughs) of the Spice Girls, man.
1: She... (laughs) Oh, that reference. Um,
0: but. <laughs> well, I think it's very apropos considering, you know, why we have Spice World to make a Pete Best reference. Okay, that's actually really fair.
1: <laughs> so I think the the interesting thing about this, so Michelle leaves, Emma Bunton comes in, and then they rename. And we're the, all better for it. Yeah. Oh, uh, relax. <laughs> um. You know, and then you know we get the name Spice, and then eventually they change it to Spice Girls with this idea that they were each going to have these like um, names that were like associated with their identities, which went through like a lot of discussion of to what this was going to be. Um, So obviously, if you don't know, their names are Sporty, Posh, Baby, Scary, and Ginger Spice, and it was meant to like be formed around their each girl's identity. And then, you know, as they start to kind of, like, get this album together on July 7th, 1996, which is very important because it's Lauren's 10th birthday, um, they (laughs) release Wannabe, and it blows up, like, to the point, you know, I I think a lot of times, like... The notion of Beatlemania gets associated with when something kind of has this, like, meteori- meteoric rise to fame. But this, like, truly was the case. Um, you know, so 1.7 million singles in the span of a week. Um, that's for anyone listening. If, if you don't recall, it used to be that you bought a single on a CD. You would get one song on that CD before the album came out, which then... You had do you hold on to did you hold on to your singles when you got I them can, from the wall? man. I mean those were great but then you had to like go Pearl by the album I
0: always had like the best ones because I mean you got yellow lead better and and like a whole ton of like extra great B-side songs that you'd never saw on other albums and stuff like that so there were some really you know or you'd get like a live version of a song sometimes those singles were really quite awesome
1: You know Atasta, you're totally right I mean
0: again just dating us beyond belief uh, 100% <laughs> the whole episode is.
1: But, again...
0: A CD, folks, that are- <laughs>
1: it's around no. ob- they're coming back though, which is right. weird.
0: Um, I also like to go. You kind of almost hinted that maybe spice mania was bigger than Beetleman.
1: No, 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 <laughs> hold on that. I am not trying to suggest that. Please everyone put your pitchforks away. Um, no, what I'm trying to suggest is not obviously this is a British pop band. So that, you know, that comparison is going to be kind of baked in, but it really like the phenomenon was in intense, uh, so much. So, you know, it gives light to this production, um, Of why they wanted to make this film because, you know, people were really, really enjoyed uh, the kind of culture and and the vision around the Spice Girls. They took their notion of, like, uh, girl power, which was, like, very important to the band. They wanted to have, like, a very, like, pro-feminist stance, very... They wanted to empower young women. Um, They actually took this idea from the band Bikini Kill. That's where the girl power thing originated um, or where they kind of pulled the inspiration from. And they really wanted to make sure that each of the girls like had their own identity that, you know, young women could identify then with them to show like different facets of femininity and to like empower women through those images. Um, You know, it worked. I was like a massive fan. I loved the... The girl power thing didn't feel like facetious or like little kid to me. It felt like didn't feel put upon there. No, yeah. it felt like, yes, like this is awesome. And they were like doing this like great pop music. Um, you know, so that's how the band gets formed. Um, and the massive, massive like celebrity attention to this, how rabid people felt. I mean, the single wannabe was like the biggest thing that year. Yeah. Um, You also think about, like, the landscape of, like, 90s music at this particular moment. Like, Spice Girls becomes kind of singular in that way in terms of, like their branding and their style of music. Um, not that other pop music didn't exist, but they were doing something kind of special and different. Um,
0: and... Would this be around the time... I, and I, uh, if you don't know, that's fine. Uh, the rise of, like, TRL. I know we ta- discussed that a little bit on our last episode because of the time period, but, like, I would think that, if I'm remembering correctly, this had to blow up hugely because of MTV. And I know there was a, there's a... There's a lot of complaints about the change from rock to pop... Uh, at that time period but
1: but I also think like at this time like MTV starts courting a different age demographic of audience right. like I think whereas MTV for a, a long time was your you know mid to late teens or early 20s kind of crowd even creeping into your late 20s I think with the introduction of kind of these like pop icons and this pop culture I think what you start to see is that like drifting I think TRL is like the great space for that because I think that's what they were highlighting and encouraging but yeah there is always that <laughs> Kind of complain of like, MTV wasn't MTV anymore. <laughs> like, and it's like, well, like, no. I mean, the second MTV started playing anything other than music videos, it wasn't the original concept. It was evolving with its audience. Um, and, you know, and what the Spice Girls offered was, you know, something that felt like really female and affirming. Um, this is, you know, they have this particular moment. It's actually interesting because I think Wannabe, like, at that time, a really cool thing happened where Wannabe and Alanis Morissette were fighting for that top spot. Spice Girls ends up overtaking. I forget which single it was. But, like, you think about that, like, what a moment in culture that your two top singles are are Alanis Morissette, who could not be more female-affirming, and the Spice Girls.
0: A hundred percent, but also... Kind of different paths to get there, right?
1: Yes, but I think same message. You're right. Like, completely. I think yes. Like a real like kick in the door kind of feminism of like you know embracing you know your identity and embracing the power that can come from that. It's like a really sorry. All right, this like sounds like I'm probably like waxing a little too poetically about this, but I remember as a young person really loving that as like a fixture in my life.
0: So you were you were a huge fan. Toss. It's what we we know at this I point.
1: had posters. My most prized toy <laughs> possession were my Spice Girls Barbie dolls, yes. which were phenomenal. <laughs>
0: the, is that a retirement plan for us? Do you have
1: those still? I don't have those. <laughs> I'm going to be very honest with you. If I still had them, I would have them out somewhere. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I'm not. Wouldn't be shocked by that. No,
1: I mean, look at our house. It's just toys everywhere. <laughs> but you know, this was su- such a phenomenon, and we have to talk about this. The film that gets made because of the Spice Girls phenomenon. And uh, you talk, yeah,
0: we have to talk about it. My first question to you, being this huge fan, did you see it in the theater? Yes. Do you remember seeing it in the theater? Yes. And did you love it the first time you saw it? Yes. They could have done anything and you were going to love it. Yeah,
1: but here's why I think this movie is fun. It's madcap, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's ridiculous. It's self-aware. But it's not demeaning in its self-awareness. It, like, knows what it is, but at the same time kind of celebrates what's supposed to be fun about this bit. You know, you have this imagined lifestyle where they're traveling around in a bus that has, like, the British flag covering it. Like, the bus that... Is, like, a TARDIS, like, makes no sense what the dimensions right. of space it are. it was bigger on the inside. Yes. <laughs> um, but, like, it was this imagined reality of, like, oh, this is what they're doing. But at the same time, like, weirdly, this movie, like, tackles concerns of, like, their identity. What does it mean to have too much fame? What does it mean, like, when fame becomes so all-consuming... That you feel like you don't have space to just be yourself anymore? What does it mean to be connected to roots? What does it mean to support, you know, women in their journey towards motherhood? What does it mean to get pigeonholed into one identity and experience? This movie, like, tackles some stuff. In a oh, really fun man, way, man. I
0: just thought we were going to talk about a goofy,
1: <laughs> we're going to
0: a movie. You just added a lot of layers to this onion. All right,
1: <laughs> I do think we could talk about maybe one of the really fun aspects of this film before we get into any of our like favorite particular scenes. Can we talk about the cameos in this movie and how this is such a marker of how huge the Spice Girls were? This
0: movie had, yeah, cameos galore and probably cameos they didn't even realize were going to be quote unquote cameos later. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's huge. I I would have to ask you right off the bat. Like, I mean, we're looking at like a ton of people, right? We have Norm himself, George Wendt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, which is awesome. Stephen Fry. Um, you know, we talked about it at the front. Roger Moore in one of the just wackiest roles. I I can't wait to talk more about that. You know, I'm glad we got to revisit this movie because it it had been a bit since we've we've this is the second time you and I have seen it together. And I always forget how bonkers the entire movie is. Oh, (laughs) yeah, it's absurd. But, you know, I mean, but there's such a great people in this. I mean, the great Alan Cumming. Oh, like, are we gonna talk about like you know this film and and some of just the real thespian major actors that were in it? Like, do you have a favorite?
1: Well, here's the Can thing: you know? it's it's Alan Cumming. Yeah, because first off, Alan Cumming and everything is just incredible. Um, and you know. I am interested because he has such an incredible theater background, like exactly how he ends up in this movie because of the fact Well he ends
0: actually up because of his theater background, exactly. How so? Well, Ginger Spice, Jerry Hallowell, saw him as Hamlet. And literally when they were she was like, That's somebody we need in this movie. We need to put and that's how he ends up getting this role. Very different. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And here's the thing. You and I have been lucky to see uh, Alan Cumming live twice in a production of Cabaret and in a production of Hamlet. Yeah. And I completely get why you'd be like, he has to be in this. But it's interesting to me, like, that this kind of, like, British theater elite ends up in this movie because you have Richard E. Grant in this movie.
0: Right. Richard E. Grant, who he talked openly about the fact of was very concerned to take this role.
1: Wait, why?
0: Well, because I hate to sound like this, or I hate to say this, and I think he probably, he didn't. He thought maybe the movie was going to hurt his career. <gasps> that it was, like, you know, beneath him, or he was going to get, you know, like, you're almost taking a step back. Um, so he really didn't want to take it, declined it. His nine-year-old daughter was a huge Spice Girls fan. Obvi. Obviously. Um, Was like, you have to take it, you have to take it. He ends up deciding, well, I want to do this for her. Ends up taking the role And as he jokingly said, he goes, yep, for two more semesters after that, I was the coolest dad in the world. It was the greatest thing, he goes. And then after two semesters, we hit that stage where, oh, I never liked the Spice Girls. And and a bunch of, you know, (laughs) the Spice Girls became uncool.
1: That's a fallacy.
0: (laughs) He did talk about, though, how many years later he was glad that this movie gets reevaluated and now has a nostalgia look to it.
1: No, no, no. The fallacy I'm saying is that... His daughter wasn't embarrassed because he was in a Spice Girls movie. His daughter was embarrassed because of that facial hair decision. Why is that strip of hair doing under his chin? It's not even like a soul patch. A soul patch like feathers out. This was like a like a strip of hair. I
0: appreciate he goes he he gives it his all though. Like right, he's not phoning it in in this movie.
1: But I think that's part of like what makes this movie work. No one seems like they're phoning it in. Yeah, is it, is it cheeky? Of course, and as I've already said, it's very self-aware, but I don't think anyone's phoning it in because you brought up George Went. George Went, when he goes to strangle the screenwriter, because he thinks in his mind, he's like the Spice Girls are in real danger, is the funniest thing. Like, that is a commitment to like and I mean obviously that whole the whole interaction of him as the producer and then and the screenwriter of them trying to conceive of a Spice Girls movie is hilarious in itself. But like George Went is so funny in those moments. I think everybody's
0: really funny in it. Like, I mean that's the thing. We we talked about this with weekend at Bernie's and yeah, you have to go in it and just let go of of some sensibilities a little bit and just relax and have some fun with it, but everybody's having a good time and it's funny. You talked about I think the writer and George Went and you pointed out the writer is the, the boss from Superstore, Superstore which yeah. blew my mind. I mean, but then, like,
1: we talked about Hugh Laurie's in this movie. Before he was, like, Hugh Laurie to us. Like, <laughs> right. American audiences didn't know. but Dominic West? Um, Jennifer Saunders?
0: Uh, Bob Hoskins? I mean, <laughs> With maybe the greatest, like, three-second cameo. Go ever. Power! <laughs> um, my, one of my personal favorites, Bob Geldof. I mean... Pink from the wall. Yes. I mean, I mean, obviously he's so influential in the music world. Sure. But you know, that, that's not even. We haven't even touched upon Elton John and Elvis Costello. <laughs> yeah,
1: Elvis Costello as the bartender is hilarious.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you have uh, Meatloaf as the bus driver, who pairs up with our favorite Rocky Horror. You know. Riff Raff. Oh, yeah, that's you know, right. Richard yeah. O'Brien, who plays the paparazzi, you know, so who, who wrote and created Rocky Horror. So, you know, it's it's um who's who of British in this?
1: Can we talk about the Roger Moore thing? Because I mean you started off the pod with this Roger Moore, you know, quote. He is just genius <laughs> throughout this entire movie. <laughs> it's so absurd. He's got a different pet every time. I gotta say, the pig is my favorite. The finger. pig is
0: by far the best.
1: You lost it the last time we watched this when the pig came on the screen uh, yeah. and was feeding him from the bottle.
0: <laughs> yeah. well, that's, I mean, and just, he, he makes no sense. I mean, what what's the other quote here? When the rabbit of chaos is pursued by the ferret of disorder through the fields of anarchy, it is time to hang your pants on the hook of darkness, whether they're clean or not.
1: I gotta be honest, it just sounds like a Thursday to me. <laughs> Just yeah, just a good
0: time. I mean, you know, when we talk a lot about I mean Elton John ends up taking us because he's really great friends with the Spice Girls. Um, so that's all you know, he was huge. I mean, he was all over the trailers and stuff, obviously. Yeah you know uh, uh, Jason Isaacs was supposed to be in it, but he got cut from it. Gary uh-huh. Oldman wanted to be in the movie because of his kid as well, but couldn't make it on the scheduling.
1: It's just, I can't help but smile at the who's who of British theater elite <laughs> being like, oh, come on, I kind of want to be in the Spice girl's movie. Like, it's just this, like, incredible, like, it lets you know, I think, how... I don't want to say insidious has a negative connotation, but just, <laughs> like, how much the Spice Girls permeated British culture, that this was, like, the thing to be a part yeah. of. Yeah. Like, you want it, it. was It was in vogue to want to be around the Spice Girls at this particular moment right. in time. I, you know... I want us 100% to talk about our favorite sequences in the movie, although I think we're definitely giving way of a few moments that we really, really love. I have to ask you, because it's a very important question. Ryan Tossey, who is your favorite Spice Girl and why?
0: <laughs> I was curious on how you were going to ask that. Were you going to ask which Spice Girl are you or who's your favorite Spice
1: Girl? Okay, and, 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 and here's the thing. Maybe, maybe people of my age can remember this. I don't know if you were a part of a friend group in middle school that forced you to have certain Spice Girls that were yours or certain members of Backstreet Boys or NSYNC that were yours. But this was like a real thing in my middle school, well, elementary to middle school, of like, if you were in a friend group, everybody got to sign someone and then that was your one. <laughs> mine, mine was Posh Spice. Which, let's be honest, paid off in dividends later on. (laughs) But at the time, I was like, I am not a posh spice. I am not cold. I am not fashionable. I have a back brace and braces. I'm not posh. They just... You got the hand-me-down posh spice. I didn't have like and if you're trying to figure out well like Lauren had black hair at some point. It wasn't then because that wasn't my natural hair color <laughs> like I had blonde hair. I have no idea why I wasn't baby spice.
0: <laughs> yeah, um not I uh, know I the posh thing did I at no point in all the time mm. we've known each other. <laughs> I'm not posh.
1: I'd love other to than be-
0: maybe a love for David Beckham, but come on. I mean
1: David Beckham's left foot. David, <laughs> David Beckham's right foot. <laughs> uh, uh, so I will ask then, what is your? who is your favorite Spice Girl? All right. I mean. I mean, yeah, I know what it is. It's <laughs> Ginger Spice. It's Ginger Spice. Come on. He likes redheads. First. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the, probably
0: the less we talk about that, the less <laughs> creepy it is for the audience. So, um, <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, no, it, it
1: was Ginger Spice. I really love so I loved Scary Spice. Because her energy is like so exuberant (laughs) and I love, I just, I love everything about her. And I love Ginger Spice, too. Like, I love, because Ginger Spice, especially in this movie, like, is super, like, super intellectual and, like, wants to, like, learn about manta rays and just, it really, Ginger Spice makes me smile.
0: You weren't so, going with the Sporty Spice?
1: <laughs> no, there's been nothing sporty about me my whole life.
0: <laughs> That's not true. You've run half marathons. Give yourself more credit than you just <laughs>
1: Listening to the Spice Girls. <laughs> um, if you had a Spice name, what would it be?
0: Oh, uh, neurotic spice. <laughs>
1: so this question was asked on Facebook, um, and 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 our friend John responded, and he said I would be popcorn spice, which I like totally agree with, but I also think there's another option here that's that's uh, seems to me potentially obvious. Pumpkin spice?
0: Oh, yeah. Yours is definitely pumpkin <laughs> spice. A hundred percent. Can I
1: tell you? I thought to myself, oh, man, I kind of like popcorn spice, too, because I do eat a lot of popcorn, but Lauren drinks a lot of pumpkin spice products.
0: <laughs> no, I think pumpkin spice very much fits you. Mine probably also could have been old spice.
1: Oh, don't be that guy. I'm that Nobody guy. Nobody <laughs> likes that guy at the party. You ripped that, that quote from serendipity, one, <laughs> and two... Go with something that neurotic spice is hilarious. I said you should be Buffalo Spice.
0: Oh, (laughs) nice. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So again, audience, (laughs) is Lauren popcorn spice or or pumpkin pumpkin spice? spice. And then am I, you know, neurotic spice or (laughs) Buffalo Spice?
1: (laughs) So spice names aside, do you have a favorite sequence in the movie? Other than saying obviously the whole movie.
0: I don't think you're going to be surprised at all of my favorite scene of this movie. I'm
1: not going to be able to say it anyways. <laughs> it's the
0: craziest scene. The aliens.
1: I mean, <laughs> that
0: scene is just wacky. I'm
1: ugly. showing Ryan my notes right now. Ryan, can you please read what I have under favorite scenes? Yes.
0: <laughs> Alien sequence is hands down the most bonkers. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> all right. Why is this your favorite sequence in Spice World? I mean, I just, I find
0: it hilarious. I find it weird as hell. Um, the aliens, no offense to the production, because I don't think they were trying to. I love that the aliens are just not really well done. They're they are they look ridiculous. like the
1: aliens from Independence Day. No. Yeah, think about it. <laughs> no. Come on, let me have this, but continue.
0: <laughs> um, but they're, yeah, they're just, you know, the fact that they're whole, the whole thing. I love that the Spice Girls just understand their language.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and no, no explanation given. Yeah.
0: Yes, and we also, you know, it was the nice lead up of, you know, uh, Meatloaf giving his, I'll do anything for those girls, but I won't do that. (laughs) So, the whole sequence. The whole sequence. What about you?
1: Um mine is I love the sequence when they're at the one uh rap party or not rap party, it's like a pre-party I think for oh, the live yeah. show and they're doing the interview up on the balcony and they're asked about their dating life and I yeah. don't know why but every time Mel says no cheese, it makes me <laughs> die with laughter every time. And I think it's like because I love how easily their their ideas are distilled like within their like pop like kind of their Spice Girl identity of how they, like, answer. And then there's another moment that I really like, and it's a simple moment, but it's when they're doing the rehearsal for Say You'll Be There. There's this moment where it's just the camera kind of panning over them, and they're just talking to each other. You can't hear what they're saying, but it just feels really natural. And I think, like, something this movie captured when it, wasn't doing the bonker stuff, was also just a, it seems like this is a band of people who really got along well together and had like a really nice natural chemistry.
0: Oh, completely. You know, the funny thing about this script is uh, Kim Fuller, who wrote the movie, um, who also wrote From Justin to Kelly, <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> um, who is the brother of Simon Fuller, who was the band's manager at the time. Um, they wrote it, they were concerned the girls were going to hate the script, so they actually wouldn't let the girls read the movie. So they didn't want, they were worried they would back out. So they actually read, Kim Fuller read them the story in, in hopes that, you know, they would like it, and they did. But what they talked about a lot with the, the filming of this movie was these weren't actresses. Uh, so you, they talked about the director and the producers talked about, you couldn't just have them do 20 takes and expect they're going to hit all their lines and things like that. So, but what they wanted to do was get that natural chemistry out of them. So what they would do is essentially turn on the camera. They had interpretations of what the script were, and then they would kind of let them go. And, um, Emma Button who talked about how, like they were trying to make each other laugh. Like they were trying to really just play off of that. So, like, so you talking about the chemistry and those scenes, like a lot of the time when you're seeing them laugh and things like that, it's all legitimately natural because it was happening
1: well, and I think why that's so important is because if you have like a set where that natural chemistry is being built, then there can be such a sense of humor in the scenes that are like a lot wilder and weirder like you know for example like another sequence that i love i love anytime there's like um like a dream sequence or oh, yeah. like an imagined reality <laughs> my favorite being when they say like emma you could probably get away with murder and it's and it's the the fake like crime Agatha, scene
0: Agatha Christie <laughs> yeah yeah it's like the
1: Agatha Christie scene and she's sitting there with like like a massive gun and a bandolier of bullets <laughs> and they're like the guy points to the other guy like it's moments like that that I think are really fun I also think that's what makes things fun like there's um. That great sequence where they're all dressing up as oh, like different icon. Yeah. That would have been my
0: second pick. I, okay. I agree with you on that. Yeah.
1: Well, because what's fun about that is it there is so much playfulness to it. And obviously, you know, you're a performer, you have to be natural in front of the camera, but it feels, it feels like this is just like comfy and it's dress up and it's kind of hilarious, and they kind of take yeah. on the roles in a really fun and way. Most,
0: my understanding is most of those roles, and you'll know, are, are, are actually they're taken from the lady as a vamp. Song yep, and the yes. lyrics. So yes, that's it. And one of my favorite parts is I, I do always appreciate I appreciate it then. I appreciate now. I, I get a good kick out of when they dress as each other. And yes. they do kind of these alternate versions of every of the Spice Girls personas.
1: Yeah, I will say justice for that song. I think it's a very underrated Spice Girls song. Okay. I love that. Well, I always love that song because of all of the references that are in it. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but I agree with you. I think when they dress up as each other, it's really funny. And I also think like one of the things that this movie is great with is I think there is a way of writing this style of film where you know that the demographic for it is going to lean preteen where you make the dialogue feel very situated towards that age. Like we're not dealing with anything heavy. We're kind of changing the way like naturally adults would speak. And I don't mean in sophistication, but I mean in things that they would joke around about, like the fact that they're joking around about the bras, they're joking around about like going out and like, oh, we would have gone out and gotten blitzed on this night. Like, There's a real sense of like, yeah, we're marketing this towards this age, but we're not forgetting that these women are adults and like, and that there's going to be some playfulness with that as well. Like the whole
0: Milan show?
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love that sequence so much. Or it's
0: very cheeky, no pun intended.
1: <laughs> but the best part is, like, when Emma is listing all the stuffed animals on her bench, she's like, so I just don't think there's any room for you, mate. Like, but that's what I love about this movie. I think this is why it's, like, a, a great nostalgia pick, because it's not just about, like, oh, yeah, I was a big fan of the Spice Girls. It's also there's something that, like, when you watch it as an adult, the humor still hits and is funny. Like, and I think it's what makes... When it goes really bonkers and extra, extra madcap, it makes it more fun because it's not just, like... They haven't been just so chewy and perfect the whole movie. Like, they're still, like, adults and they make kind of, like, adult jokes. Oh, and like, yeah. So it makes it fun. But I think, I look, the best scene in the movie, like, has to be the whole description of when they're trying to get from the hospital to the show. And the screenwriter <laughs> oh. is describing... The whole
0: bus yes, <laughs>
1: scene? Yes, the discovery of the bomb. <laughs> yeah. There's no way that's not the best sequence of the movie. Yes,
0: I mean, especially when they do the uh, that's going to be expensive, and then it goes to
1: this like
0: <laughs> I don't know, like toy bus going over, over. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a lot of just smart, just fun, you know, moments. I agree with you. That whole sequence is is hilarious and really good. Um, do you? I would love to hear. Can you? We're talking about all these wacky, the wackiness of yes. this. Give me a synopsis of this movie.
1: (laughs) A power girl group um, (laughs) embarking on their first live globally televised concert uh, deal with complications surrounding the pressures of fame, balancing family, balancing friendships that existed before the fame, all while trying to discover self-identity, support each other, and avoid a semi-Nazi-looking paparazzi that's trying to destroy their every move. (laughs) Well done. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. No
0: notes on that or Thank anything. You. you just pulled that out And I threw that. That was not something we pre-planned. So my, I give you a lot of credit. My armpits
1: started sweating <laughs> as soon
0: as you said it. But you talked about this. I mean, what well, we got the great villain of Kevin McMaxford, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: but you talked about it. Oh, the sequence when he gets so angry it rains on his assistant. Oh, my God. Absolute yes.
0: gold. Yes, that is, is classic. Yeah. Uh, a classic, yes. <laughs> that is, that's a really good time. Um, I... You know, it's just all the things that they throw at it. You did talk about at the beginning of this of, you know, aspects of this movie that, you know, they're trying to say something. And and obviously, you know, the fact that all of the villains, quote unquote, of it are male. They're all, quote unquote, the ones that are kind of make or break their success in some ways. Yeah. So in this really weird wacky type, you know, just really for last film. They are actually trying to say something with that, between the paparazzi. And you talked about, this movie weirdly, the themes of it are still, say, relevant and, you know, today.
1: Well, I think that's very unfortunately. I think these are modern things that young, particularly female artists, deal with, like, in the industry. I don't think that stuff's gone away, unfortunately, as we saw, like, you know, Taylor Swift and trying to reclaim, like, her catalog as being, like, a good contemporary example of that. I also think, like, this is a band that seemingly had some sense and say of, like, what they were putting out there, um, and still does, because, you know, if you don't know this, the Spice Girls are reuniting at Glastonbury uh, Music Festival. This is also my pitch for anyone who wants to buy me tickets to go to Glastonbury. Like, let's go. It'd be the most fun. But I think, like, one of the things that, like, they've even shown us, like, with this, like, reunion is they've changed, like, some of the lyrics to their songs to be more inclusive. Like, mm. particularly Jerry Halliwell has really led the charge on that of, um, if you know the song to become one, she's changed the lyrics because she thinks that the heteronormativity that's present in the song is not inclusive. Mm. Um, good, good for her the song spice up your life has a really troubling line. Um, that actually got changed a while ago. Okay. Um,
0: yeah, I did look at you at one point when I was like, Ooh, that did. Yeah.
1: No. And that like a hundred percent, if we yeah. were doing a holdup, a hold-up for this up film, is, that would be yeah, a hold- there, there's a line in it that's, you know, uh, really offensive and, and they changed it a while ago because they said, they were like, this is ridiculous. They were like this, the phrasing is offensive. And you know, we have a multicultural, multi-ethnic audience. Like we're, we, we want to make sure that everyone feels like they can be a part of the space girls like culture. And so it shows that this is a band. So when you're talking about these themes, I think it's, you know, a reflection of the people who are in the band that they wanted those things to be there and to feel like really empowering. Like the movie feels, it feels like there is a sense of togetherness and welcoming. If you pay close attention to to the club sequences like they are allowing for a lot of modes of expression that i don't think would have been marketed yeah. in a lot of adolescent films like they are showing um you know queer subcultural spaces in a way that feels like really empowering too like these are things that this movie is doing and the crazy thing is is i i agree with you when we sat down today i'm like we're just gonna talk about how fun this movie is but i think mm. recently re-watching i'm like Damn, was this movie doing a lot more than I even was giving it credit for?
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't... I, I don't disagree with you. You know, you and I had the luxury, the, the, you know, nice thing to... We got to see this when we were in England. Um, you know, we took a vacation <laughs> yes. a couple of years ago there. It was a, a dream vacation we got to take. And, of course, when you're on a dream vacation in the United Kingdom, what are you going to do? You're going to go to a rooftop cinema to watch the Spice, Girl, Spice World. Um... And you know what? So happy we did. That was tons of fun. Like you were just we were just sitting up there, you know, headphones on, watching this with, with everybody, and people just laughing the whole time. And
1: quoting and, quoting. and dancing. <laughs> I will
0: always say this from that screening. I couldn't figure out. There was such a lean-in on Posh Spice every time she did anything that I could not tell if it was laughing with her or at
1: her (laughs) no with i think there was a real because you could tell it was there was like an enthusiasm around it that was like very i think sweet natured and like because i mean like posh has you know remained like very famous in the state and the zeitgeist in that way you know not just because of her marriage to david beckham but because she's a fashion icon Mm -hmm. and you know certainly in that you know upper elite british culture um so i think there i think that was like very good humor but i will say it was like the best way to watch it and like like, I didn't know what to expect. Would it be, like, kind of stuffy of, like, well, this is, like, a stupid movie? But no, it was, like, a, no, this is, like, our movie, man. Yeah, like, it really was a claim it. Yeah.
0: like, when Richard E. Grant talks about that this movie got a second life and and reevaluated. it, it's true. And we got to see that firsthand. You know, when we got to do it at Nostalgia Cinema recently at Civic Theater, the, the, the audience we were with was all into it and, and mm-hmm. laughing and mm-hmm. everything. Like... Um, it's, you know, it's you, we were talking about like, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff, really interesting stuff put into it. But at the end of the day too, it's just a funny movie. That's just, you know, what sometimes cinema should be, which is just have a good time and not to think too much. If you want to throw in your random pregnant friend, throw in your random pregnant friend into the movie.
1: Dude, I love that storyline. I like that. They're all the godmothers. (laughs) But I also like that they have this friend that's like really supportive of them and that it shows like why it's so important for like them to be supportive of her and be like, yeah, we've got this big concert, but like this matters more. And I like that they have that moment.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, and I like the fact that, you know, circle back to what got you here, right? Like we get the the cafe scene because you had to have want to be in here, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, and it, it speaks to how this movie ends up getting made this film was just trying to capture like you said, the spice mania that was going on at that time. Uh, so it's actually a weird person actually kind of puts this in motion, which is Annie Lennox of all people. So Annie Lennox had Simon Fuller as a manager. Like we talked about with the spice girls, her husband had just started a film production company and, So when they they decided to get together for lunch, all of them and talk about this. And during this lunch, they end up coming up with the idea of putting this movie together and really, you know, trying to, for lack of a better word, cash in a little bit on the success on this. This movie gets made quickly. Mm -hmm. They have that lunch on November 1st of 1996. That movie is in the can By November of 1997. So within one year, they were ready to go. Film gets released in December of 97. So, you know, it ends up getting directed by Bob Spears, who was huge with absolutely fabulous for Uh, anybody that loves British culture and British TV. Such a good show. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, they were trying to do something really with it. I mean, they ended up taking it to Cannes before they even started filming on the movie, ended up having so many fans show up and to shut down Cannes for a piece of the day because of this. Just yes. for literally, they had nothing to show. They just wanted to start promoting the movie early.
1: <laughs> you just imagine, like david lynch at Cannes that year just being like <laughs> "What the hell is going on like i just imagine that like for what the atmosphere surrounding can like that had to be pretty hilarious i agree
0: so the movie ends up getting shot between june and august of 1997 so not a long shoot and then you know like we talked about it gets released and it's it does really well. This movie ends up opening up in the U.S. over Super Bowl weekend. It makes $10.5 million, which at the time was the biggest Super Bowl weekend opening ever, which is always those, like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now ends up being that that essentially later gets beaten, um, you know, and that, that record doesn't hold anymore. I think now Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus movie, Best of Both Worlds, now holds that record, but, um, you know, it it was a a huge success. It it earned hundred million dollars at the box office, um, worldwide, so, like, you, you can't deny that.
1: So, I do have a question, though. Like, I think I've made it pretty clear why I saw Spice World in theaters, Um, through my various levels of fandom and obviously the target demo, Ryan, why did you see Spice World when it first came out? Because you were like, not the target demo. And I also know what music you listened to at that particular (laughs) time in your life. And something about Tool and Spice World don't seem to equate. So can you explain?
0: Wait, you're trying to say that January 98, when I was 18 years old and was a huge Tool and Pink Floyd fan that, um... Spice Girls were not on my playlist every.
1: Look, I love to think of you and your multitudes, but also I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like honestly thinking about some lines I want to draw. I feel like any
0: answer I give here is going to sound creepy. And <laughs> nah. <laughs> but go all, ahead.
1: All right. I'll, you know what? I'm going to give
0: it. And I have, a, a, you know, we have our, our good friend Paul that's listening to the show, who's always a great supporter, who right now I know is cringing and probably this entire episode was going. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't tell the story, man. But yeah, no, got my got my friend Paul. We went like opening weekend, him and I. Opening weekend. I think it was opening weekend. You have no self respect. I was during <laughs> wrestling season at that time, which I just want to point out. You know, fishing Quest put out an episode. If you're, you're into, <laughs> <But>, uh, no, <laughs> I made Paul go. We went. It may not have been open weekend because literally no, I no, remember no. just
1: let me think of it as opening
0: weekend. <laughs> I just remember it was just Paul and I and like two other people. A <laughs> <farther>. <laughs> There's nobody else in the theater. So yeah, you know what? I remember having a good time with it. I'm sure but you did. The answer to your question of why did I go see it? Go back to earlier. Ginger spice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so look. This is all fair, and yeah. and and I'm happy that you had a fandom and love those because, like when I when I made Spice World references, you knew what I was talking about, which was both dismaying and really comforting. <laughs> But, you know, this phenomenon, like, of this film, like, joins a proud history of bands that made movies that were hyper-realized versions of themselves. Obviously, the most notable of these, you know, the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, you know. Yeah, I Um, mean,
0: that's exactly what they're trying to to capture.
1: Yeah, because it it has all those, like, dreamy sequences. Again, like, not to overuse this word this episode, but, like, madcap energy. It's... Kind of like them, but again, hyper-realized versions. You have uh, The monkeys do this with a film called Head. You have, you know, and this is a little bit of a a different turn on this, but Prince essentially does this with Purple Rain uh, by having an album that, you know, is so intrinsically tied with a film obviously, you know, let's take this back to Ryan in 98 and every year after, you know, Pink Floyd's The Wall, that film, you know, so.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, the Elvis films, you could argue fall into that. Yeah, 100%. Um, Metallica has a huge one with Metallica Through the Never, which yeah. uh, just recently, Studio 60, 666 uh, with the Foo Fighters yeah. would fall in there. Um, I would argue maybe Tommy, the to- you know, Tommy would oh, the, with yeah. the Who? Um,
1: yeah, no, 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 that would, you know, I, I neglected to think about that one, but yeah, 100% that would fall um, off this.
0: R- rock and Roll High School?
1: Oh, sure, yeah. So
0: anytime I can throw in a PJ Souls film, uh, um...
1: Save it, Toss. You got a Halloween episode coming up. You can talk all <laughs> about PJ Souls. What about Cool as Ice? We have yet to mention Cool as Ice. Uh, so let's talk about who we'd love to see, uh, <laughs> instead. Um, do you have, so this is like a, a th- thing that has not happened a lot there have definitely been um like teen pop artists that have been in movies like the jonas brothers and camp rock and, and and you talked about hannah montana but i'm curious if you could see any artists do this type of movie who would you want to see and why
0: oh, you want me to lead this question sure <laughs> because I am all over the place on this episode because, you know, I was thinking, like, bands that could work would be, like, One Direction would probably make a really good, you know, like. Yes,
1: but it has to be that they're, like, reuniting, and it has to start out with a scene of, like, like like Liam asking Harry, like, so did you spit on (laughs) Chris Pine at Venice? That's how it has to start.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I completely, although one day, right, we're going to get the, uh, you know. The Dory, full story. darling, movie, right? Like behind the scenes film.
1: Yeah, but I want it like directed by Florence Pugh. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> um, all right, my answer. I, I, you know, I also thought Green Day would be really good at this at, during their their prime. Um, I mean, you could argue they're still in. You know that. Garth Brooks. Ouch.
1: I'm going Garth Brooks. All right.
0: No, seriously.
1: All right, let me hear why.
0: He's goofy. He's dorky. He's quirky. He likes to poke fun at himself. You know, he's an entertainer. Like, he likes to have fun. Like, I just could see him really making this work.
1: Is he going to, like, open a closet door and there's just going to be, like, the clothing of Chris Gaines behind (laughs) it?
0: No, that's the whole film, right? (laughs) We got to have Chris Gaines show up. Like, that's your villain?
1: (laughs) You know, I... I've never... I don't think we've ever had an episode that's so on brand to who you are as a human being. (laughs) Just, like, real all over the place with your pop culture and your references and your different music tastes. How about this? Go for it.
0: Wesley Anderson directs a Weezer movie.
1: I want that movie. (laughs) Because it would work, right? I think it would work very much. It'd be, like... I don't know. There'd just be, like, I don't know, felt guitars and, like, lots (laughs) of color and... I, you know, I love the Weezer idea. I think that could be a lot of fun. I really would like to see this done, but, but it to be Lizzo. Um, oh, yeah. Lizzo's social media um, – shout out to Casey for introducing me to Lizzo a number of years ago. Um, Lizzo's social media is just really incredible. She's really self-effacing uh, and, like, also, like, really beautiful and empowering also on her Instagram. But I think, like – some hyper-realized version of Lizzo's day-to-day is like, I don't even need her to have music in it. I just, I kind of want, all right, maybe I just want a Lizzo movie, but I would love to see it done in the style of, like, her interacting with a lot of different celebrities. She does a really nice job of, like, bringing people, like, into the fold on stage. She just recently did a performance with Harry Styles uh, that was really incredible. So, like, I think there could be something really fun about a movie where she gets this kind of treatment.
0: I like that. What
1: would be you
0: being a teacher and everything? You're kind of more around. What would be do you have a band right now? Do you think that would fall under this a little bit?
1: So a few years ago, I would have said like, uh, five seconds of summer would have been okay. like kind of that next one direction. I think still would be kind of huge. Honestly, if Taylor Swift did something right like this right now, I think her music has gotten a little moodier. I mean, that is a positive. Cause obviously like we, we were diehard Swifties in this house. Um, but, like, I think if she did something, it would be massive. Um, but I don't know. That's actually I'm going to contemplate. I'm going to, like, listen in. Like, what kind of does band... This,
0: but does this have to... Does it work better with a band? Because yes. I'm throwing out Garth Brooks. Yes. You're throwing out Taylor and Lizzo. I like all these ideas. But does it work better?
1: I do think you need a lot of personalities. Mm-hmm. I do think Lizzo could pull this off by herself, though. I really
0: do. A lot of cameos Yes, would be
1: cool. a lot of cameos would make this really I also just
0: keep thinking as we're talking here this entire episode that all we're going to get is those reviews to get tossie's takes are going to be like, uh, interesting stuff about film, but their m- music taste is just awful.
1: We don't have a music podcast That's for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we tend to end the episode talking sequel, prequel, remake, reboot, I mean, obviously, there's an imagined version of they're reuniting at Glastonbury summer 2023. So there is a chance this could happen. But do you have a pitch for a sequel, prequel, remake or reboot to Spice World?
0: quick question for the reunion. Would you like to go over and we can actually stay on the bus? Because it is an Airbnb that you can go like the legitimate one at the Island Harbor Marina in the UK. They redid it. It's there and you can stay inside it.
1: <laughs> Y'all can't see the face I'm making at him, but it is my eyes are open so wide. They're watering and I'm saying, let's do this.
0: <laughs> but you're telling me they're re- reuniting. So there is sequel opportunity. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I got it. I got it completely. It's so perfect. Perfect. All right, so they're going to be doing this, right, this new tour, reunion tour. So the whole film was meta about making the Spice World movie, right? So you do a movie called Spice Universe, and it's about them getting ready for this reunion concert. And it's the whole wackiness of them. And you know who their manager? And... (laughs) Damn it! <laughs> Bill Hader and Ben Schwartz are their managers, helping all the wackiness
1: happen. How great would this movie be?
0: I'm telling you, this movie works, right? <laughs> it should be really all great. All right, Ben Schwartz, Bill Hader aside, though.
1: No, first off, never aside. <laughs> Always within. I just didn't see it coming because we didn't talk mm. any recasting because there'd be no reason to. <laughs> so this is perfect. Someone make this. I also love that you called it Spice Universe. Thank you for that. I am so glad I got to spend the past hour talking to you about Spice World. Like... Ten-year-old me somewhere is really stoked that this is what I'm doing as an adult. So this feels like some serious dreams realized. And if you've never seen Spice World, how could you not be nostalgic about Spice World? Please check it out. Find it somewhere. Watch it. And if not, I will happily send you our DVD copy so you can check it out or rewatch it again. We have some really exciting things upcoming that we would love to share with you. On October 8th um, at Steel Stacks in Bethlehem, I am going to be co-hosting with Adriana Gober a night celebrating the work of Vincent Price. We're going to be watching The Mask of the Red Death. However, what's really important about this night is Victoria Price herself. as Vincent Price's daughter is going to be there to do a Q&A and a book signing. This is an incredible opportunity to get to talk to someone who was very close to legend status um, in the horror world. Um, But someone who is a writer, a professor, a creator, she is an incredible human being. I cannot wait to talk to her. So please check that out, steelstacks.org backslash film. There's still tickets available for that. On October 29th, Nostalgia Cinema is getting the spooky treatment. We are going to be watching George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead in its beautiful 4K restoration um, at the 19th Street Theater at 4 p.m. So please, please check that out.
0: They're coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, gosh,
1: I cannot (laughs) wait for that. On October 20th, we have an awesome opportunity. It's gonna be on a Thursday night. We are doing a virtual trivia night with Lehigh Valley, now Philadelphia, Trivia Master Steve Bost. Uh, this is gonna be a Halloween themed trivia. So bring your horror, your haunted, your spooky knowledge, maybe some pumpkin spice latte questions, who knows, um, to that event. We'll be promoting that on, on social media. If you're not currently following us, please follow us at How Could You? podcast on instagram at how could you pod on twitter you can check us out at facebook.com backslash how could you podcast you can check out our youtube page in the liner notes for this show or you can send us email suggestions and thoughts at how could you podcast at gmail.com don't forget about that earlier offers write a review send us a dm on instagram and you can get a Tossie's takes featured on the episode
0: and until next time spice up your life and enjoy the odyssey